Welcome to another episode of Heroes and, a podcast where we talk about heroes and comics, movies, TV shows, and this being the biggest year of superhero movies ever. Basically, if it's part of geek culture, we're going to talk about it. I'm Cody. And I'm Andy. And today we are talking about heroes and villains. But before we get into the episode, just want to do a quick recap on a recent poll that we did on our Twitter account. So, uh, Cody, like you said, there are a lot of superhero movies coming out this year. I think there's like seven. It's, yeah, it's like seven or eight. Yeah. It, and that's the, like just the superhero ones. There's yeah. other geeky ones. You know, exactly. Too, but. Uh, but there's a lot of superhero movies coming out this year. And we just wanted to, on our Twitter account, we asked our followers which ones they were most excited for. Now, we didn't list all of them. We just listed four of them. The four movies we listed are Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Captain America Civil War, X-Men Apocalypse, and Suicide Squad. Um, now, Cody, the, the results are in. Do you want to know which movie won? I would love to know, Andy. Actually, I hate to burst your bubble. You know, yeah, but uh, but I I have access to like it's our Twitter. Account. I, I know, I know, but I just want to still. I, Andy, it, the anticipation is killing exactly. Me. That's what I wanted. The anticipa- uh, <laughs> I can't. I can barely. I'm yeah, shaking, so he's, shaking in my like I can't handle it. We get it. You're excited. So this <laughs> this is the result. Uh, the winner was Captain America: Civil War. Now, Cody, are you surprised by that? I'm not at all surprised. I think that is the winner. For this year, I I will say it now. In January, yes, in the very first week of January, yes, that that will be the winner for the best movie, best superhero movie this year. Now we do have coming out this year a couple, you know, small challengers, yes, or you know, like newbies, you yeah. Know? Like we got that Suicide Squad uh-huh. coming out. We got that Doctor Strange coming out. So that's true. There's a chance for them to you know dethrone the cap, but I think. The one that's going to challenge Captain America the most, honestly, is probably going to be X-Men Apocalypse because we have Brian Singer. He's back. He did a great job with the first one. He did a great job with Days of Futures Past. And so now, you know, the ball, the momentum is rolling now for Fox and with the X-Men franchise. And so I think now... With this Apocalypse movie, I think it's going to be really, really good. Batman v Superman. Oh my gosh, there's so many questions. I don't know if that's going to, you know, challenge or upset the Captain America. But trying, I think you're right. You no, know, it's trying to roll. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. Captain America is probably going to be the, the biggest superhero movie of the year. Maybe the best one. But um, but yeah, so we uh, that that's the latest poll that we asked on our Twitter account. We do polls like that quite often. So if you wanted... To be a part of that, go ahead and follow us on our Twitter account at heroes underscore and. Uh, but enough of the poll question and social media and all that. Uh, let's move on to today's episode. For today's episode, like I said already, we are talking about heroes and villains. So this is uh, this episode is similar to our origins and prequel episodes that we did uh, last year. Uh, essentially, what we're talking about today is what makes a good villain. Now. The way Cody and I, the way you and me are talking about villains is kind of focused and and looking just at the superhero genre. So the villain that we're talking about, you know, what makes a good villain, quote unquote, we're looking at 
from a superhero fan, you know, for superhero movies. That's not to say that this would necessarily works across all genre, you know, genres, but we're just talking about the superhero genre specifically. So, um, so yeah, so let's talk about villains. Cody, what do you think makes a, makes a good villain, man? There's, there are a lot of different elements, aspects to it. What do you think is a, is a pretty important aspect to making a good villain? Well, arguably the biggest thing for me is the unknown or the mystery surrounding their character. I'm yeah. thinking, I'm thinking about the, the why behind the what, so to speak, their motivations, you know, why they're doing what they're doing, what their ultimate end game is, mm-hmm. things such as that. I think we've seen this done multiple times throughout movies and comics, but there's a definitely a, a sense of just trying to figure out that that part of the character as far as just what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of characters where we don't see that, uh, you know, up until the very end, you know, where the, the big reveal, so to speak, and, and you know, the... The mask is removed or, you know, whatever it is and such, you know, there's the big, there's the Scooby-Doo kind of moment where everything's revealed, you know. Uh, But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for for me. There was also a sense of us not having all of the pieces there. Yeah, that's the thing for me. Like, I agree with you totally. I, I think for the viewer, the reader, you know, if you're reading comic book or if you're watching the movie or the TV show, not having all the pieces to the puzzle is huge and you're trying to figure out why is this villain doing this what's you know what's the end goal what's the end game a and you're kind of you're in that same position as the hero you know a lot of times that's the, where the conflict is is that the hero is trying to prevent the villain from doing you know the, you know their evil plan or their evil scheme but a lot of times the hero doesn't have all the pieces to the puzzle they don't have all the facts and so it's a way that us, the viewer, can relate to the hero because we're in that same boat, you know. And so that's when the villain is is smart like that and can, you know, we don't have, we don't know all the cards that they have in their hand. That, man, that's huge. And that makes a villain uh, that much more effective as a, you know, uh, as a villain. But we also see sometimes where we have all the pieces or at least more, not necessarily all the pieces, but more pieces than our hero. <laughs> yes, and and that kind of can make us, you know, feel a little bit like we're like we should be doing something to help. Yeah, there's some way that we're failing our hero by not showing them, you know, not what's happening, not telling them, mm-hmm. you know, what's going, what the villain is doing, you know, when this, when our superhero is not on the page or not on screen. Yeah, it's bad because it's like we can see our hero going into like and falling perfectly into a trap mm-hmm. and that's what sucks you know as a reader as you're reading the comic book or if you're watching the movie to see like don't don't do that like that's exactly what they want you to think like don't like it's it's you know it's not a real body it's a fake body don't fall for it like yeah. you know what I'm saying? like whatever it may be like don't do it like and so that's it's the, a trap yeah <laughs> exactly so that you know having sometimes having you know more pieces to the puzzle than our hero yeah, I guess for us it's good because we know essentially, you know, uh, what what the villain is up to. But we have to see our he- hero fall. Like yeah. we have to see them fail to some degree when when that's the case. So, um, but another element like the unknown or the mystery, I think too that that's good for a villain is not knowing who the who the villain is. Like, so we don't know the identity of our villain. So I think. That in itself plays a huge aspect to creating this, 
you know, this incredible villain is this sense of mystery behind, wait, who is that guy? You know, Mm -hmm. who is this person? So with that, maybe we understand what they're doing. You know, you know, there isn't maybe that much of a backstory with that villain, but the backstory with, in that case is who is the person, like who is this villain um, that is going up against our hero. And that, that by itself can create so much suspense. Like, um, and so we kind of, we've seen that before in movies and video games and comics and done really well. Like the one that comes to mind, um, fairly recently is with, you know, Captain America, the winter soldier, you know, Mm -hmm. not knowing who that, you know, who this person was, who this guy was, he was, he's a big threat. There's legends of him, of, you know, him showing up here and then he caught Captain America's shield yeah, the first yeah. time we see him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he catches, you know, his shield. He can run faster or or as fast as, you know, Captain America and all this stuff. And it's like, what who is this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, and so that that's huge. Uh is there is there another villain that comes to mind clearly that you think about like, man, the identity of this villain is, you know, not knowing it is such a suspense, you know, adds so much to the suspense. Yeah, I think back to the Batman Red Hood animated movie. Yeah. To where we see, you know, this character, the Red Hood, shows up in Gotham and he starts killing criminals mm-hmm. and just, you know, putting them, putting them down. Yeah. And Batman's trying to catch him. He's trying to figure out who it is under the mask mm-hmm. because there's nothing, no record, you know, there's nothing that he can research or find out who this person is. And then ultimately, you know, we, we see who that is, you know, yeah. by the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil that because it's a pretty cool reveal. But that moment when you figure out, oh, my gosh, like this is who it is. And also just realizing the backstory mm-hmm. and how what that character had to go through to get there, mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Also kind of piggybacking off of Red Hood is in Batman Arkham Knight, yeah. you know, the, the game that came out uh, last year. The storyline for that, you know, the title is Batman Arkham Knight. And so the whole time you're trying to figure out who the Arkham Knight is. And he's not ultimately, I guess, the main villain, so to speak. But he's a big part of the game. And Batman is trying to figure out who he is. He's trying to, you know, with he's paying attention to what the Arkham Knight is saying. Just to try to figure out if, like, that has any type of or can shed any light on who this who the Arkham Knight is as a you know under the mask. Yeah, and I think again we kind of talked about this last week on our episode, but I know I have I haven't played the video game yet. Um, but I know just like the marketing and the trailers for it and you know the promotion for that, that was such a big force behind the game is this who is this Arkham Knight. And so mm-hmm. I know when I when I start playing the game like that's part of the excitement is seeing how that story is told and how the reveal of that character plays out as you know as i'm playing the game so um but yeah so having that secret identity as the villain i think man that's adds so much suspense suspense and you know mystery and unknown to uh to our villain so um cody i I agree with you the unknown the mystery all that is huge I think another part of component to our villain that plays a huge role is is that the villain brings out the best in our hero. I think uh, when our villain can, um, when he challenges our hero, when he or she challenges our hero in a way um, that, you know, it they're not easy to defeat. You know, it's not like a normal common, 
you know, burglar or, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just another, you know, robber, you know, just stealing. Right. They're the, just, they're not just another thug. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so for the villain to bring the best out, out of our hero, that's great. Like that adds a whole nother element to our, our villain. Um, and then on that they can, they challenge our hero, um, is we, when that happens, man, that, that's another huge as- aspect to the villain. So if they can challenge our our hero intellectually, that's you know maybe they might not be able to stand toe to toe with them in a in a fight, mm-hmm. but if they can challenge them in a, intellectually, that's great. So I think about like the Riddler. You know, um, you really can't see that too much if, from the movie uh, Batman Forever. Jim Carrey, I think he did a a great job. I think that's probably the best part of that movie is Jim Carrey. Yeah, and I his, would agree. Is you know his performance, his the humor and all that. Um, but you really don't see that side of the Riddler in Jim Carrey's performance. I'm thinking more the Riddler from um, Batman Zero Year, so the you know recent run that from the Batman comic books, and so you see that the Riddler is challenging Batman intellectually. Batman, are you really the world's greatest detective? You know, like, and so mm-hmm. he's trying. He, the Riddler's okay if he get. He's okay if he gets caught by Batman, but he wants to know that if he is caught, that that whoever caught him or catches him is worthy of that reward. You know, so it's 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 bizarre. Like that's a weird dynamic to have in the, in a villain. But um, if they can stand toe to toe with the, the, our hero intellectually, that's that's incredible. Another example I think of for uh, challenging our hero in a way that makes them, you know, that makes them interesting mm-hmm. is the Deathstroke uh, or, you know, Slade Wilson in the show Arrow. You know, yeah. in season two of Arrow, we have we have Slade Wilson, Deathstroke becomes the, the big bad, you yeah. know, the big villain. And in that, we see that he is always one step ahead of Oliver. And I know that can kind of, you know, be similar or sound similar to an intellectual challenge. But for Deathstroke, it's less that he, you know, it's not necessarily a mental, he's not playing mind games with Oliver. He's just literally like anytime Oliver tries to make a move, Deathstroke's already got a plan for that. Yeah. He's, you know, he's always, again, one step ahead. And so he proceeds to kind of, in that, wreck Oliver's entire life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he ruins Oliver in a, in a bad way you yeah. know, throughout the, pro- the, you know, throughout that season's progression. And that ultimately causes Oliver to have to prove that he is a hero. Yeah, you know, and prove that he can, despite whatever Slade does, you know, whatever he throws at him, he can, you know, come out on top. Yeah, and there's even a good point in that in that season where, uh, where Felicity tells Oliver to let him be ahead of him, and you know, to kind of flip the to flip the table, you yeah. know, on Deathstroke's plans to just play into his schemes, you know, a little bit, and so that's that's one I think I think of a great you know of a great example for that. Yeah, I also think about um, if our villain can challenge our hero uh, on a physical level. That's that's a that's a great dynamic to have. So for that, I think about Bane. You know, I think we see this in the comics. We see that we see this in you know the animated TV show and the movies, and particularly also we you know with the Dark Knight Rises, we see that this villain that's in this you know that's challenging Batman. It can can stand toe to toe with him in a fist fight, you know. And what we see actually is that he's even stronger than our hero. And mm-hmm. you know, in the comics and in the movie, we see that Bane 
ultimately breaks the bat. He breaks Batman's back. And, you know, in the comics, it, you know, it really that whole storyline plays out, you know, across several, several comic book issues. You know, in, in the movie, we see that, man, that, you know, he physically had to recover from that, you know. And um, so it, it just it it was such a big challenge for Batman, our hero, to overcome that. We see that it really brought the best out of him if he was going to rise to that challenge. And so we see that again, um, we see that Bane really challenges our hero on a physical level. Also, just recently, I had the opportunity to watch the original Spider-Man again. Okay. And so kind of re-watching that all you know, all these years and superhero movies later, you yeah. know, this this MCU later. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was I was surprised. Like it was a lot better than I remembered it being. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't like it, you know, I always I always enjoyed it, but I enjoyed watching it because in that one you see another good example of this, which is they they challenge the personal interest of the hero. And so and I'm okay with spoiling this because that movie came out in 2000. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't seen Spider-Man by now, sorry. But uh, there's this bad guy named the Green Goblin. Yes. Uh, and there's, you know, our hero, Spider-Man. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, and so, uh, but in that, there's a point in that movie where you see the Goblin, he's he's holding uh, Mary Jane in one hand. Mm-hmm. And he's holding a, a cable that's connected to a cart that's full of kids mm-hmm. and, you know, and civilians ultimately. Yeah. And he, he kind of tells Spider-Man that he's going to have to choose between the love of his life, Mary Jane, yeah. or ultimately his duty to his seri- to his city. Yeah. You know, he's, he's making him choose between the person he loves and what he, what Spider-Man needs to do and what Spider-Man needs to be. Yeah. And that dynamic, like it, it 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 plays with our hero's heart, yeah. Because the, our hero is going to want, you know, he's going to want to see Spider Man wants to see Mary Jane live, but at the same time, he knows that if he he can't let a group of civilians die, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for that, and that ultimately is you know the the moment when our hero is able to do both, you know, is able to save both or stop both, is a big deal. Yeah. But that even kind of makes me think taking that you know logic a step further the times when our hero isn't able to save one where he fails those are those moments are are great development for our heroes as well i think of for that i think of uh of the dark knight when joker gives batman the choice to save harvey dent or to save rachel yeah and you know there's there's the game where joker you know is is giving them the wrong addresses you know and flip-flopping them but that moment when Batman shows up and he he's arriving at Harvey Dent's warehouse. Yeah, and Rachel's not there. <laughs> and then ultimately sucks. the you know Rachel, uh, yeah, the, the you know Rachel doesn't make it. You yeah, know? like that's a big deal because yeah. Batman has failed his you know he's failed to protect the one he loves, and yeah. so that's I uh, I didn't that's such a good example of both of. You know, our hero rising to the challenge and saving both, you know, with Spider-Man, he was able to save both. But then on the flip side, man, he and maybe, you know, that Batman scene is so deep. It really is. But ultimately, Bruce Wayne is okay with how everything plays out because, yeah, he's sad that Rachel died, obviously. But it's like at the end of the day, he still did the best he could as a hero and now he's gonna have to come back stronger than you know than that you mm-hmm. know to to fight 
against you know to have this fight against a joker so um but and then like even with that i think even those times of the feet yeah the ultimately what we see is it, it's it's room for growth for our hero you know so they bring out the best of our hero they challenge them like you know like we said and you know intellectually you know physically or you know with their personal interests and all that but um ultimately it's all for the development of the hero and even if we see our hero lose maybe early in the film early early on in the storyline it just sets them up for a a, a greater you know victory in the end you know and which is you know it's satisfying as a viewer as a reader all of that like to see our hero rise to the challenge it, there's a bigger payoff in, mm-hmm. in that for us uh the other thing that i think is important for a villain is that there's some connection with the hero so not only do we have you know this un unknown mystery aspect to them or you know not only do they bring out the best of our hero but there is some form of a connection with them as well so the villain you know has some form of a relation with them so it's either a relationship with them so either their family or their friends or you know um you know they they knew each other at one point you know they went their separate ways and now they've come back to this reunion you know so um i think it adds, adding that history again it just takes their relation that relationship between our hero and villain it just goes to a deeper level yeah it makes every every choice that both the hero and the villain is making it adds that much more weight to them i think mm-hmm. just because the like the moments where the villain is like i know that i'm going to have to hurt you know this family member or this friend of mine yeah it like it it makes it to where you're able to see that the villain might have you know some reservations yeah and even then the hero you know mm-hmm. has reservations with that as well because that nobody wants to hurt someone that they care about their friend or their, their family member so like i think i think in the comics we see this a lot with uh the green lantern so what we see is uh, hal jordan and sinestro so we see that you know sinestro was the one that trained Hal Jordan, he, you know, he taught Hal everything he know, every, everything he knows about being a lantern, about being a green lantern and, and all of that. But we see later on throughout a huge, you know, story arc, you know, developing over issues and issues of, you know, Jeff John's run on the green lantern. We see that Sinestro becomes, you know, this foe, this villain now to Hal Jordan, you know, when he gets this yellow ring now this power ring and so uh ultimately what we see is they they became they were friends at one point and like a teacher student they had that relationship and now they're you know they're enemies and so and um that relationship is so is so cool to see that relationship play out and the ups and downs to it and um there's such a strong connection between the two it's just shout out to jeff johns he did a great job just that whole just Gosh, that whole Green Lantern run was amazing, and um, if you haven't read any of that old, you know, the, his run on it, definitely recommend reading his his run. Um, so it, we see that play out in that way in in comics, in movies we've seen that play out, you know, a couple times. The one I think of, I that you know, say what you will about the movie, yeah, uh, but the relationship between Obi Wan Kenobi yeah. and you know and Anakin Skywalker mm-hmm. in the Revenge of the Sith and you know even the you know the movies preceding that we see Anakin now you know kind of flip flopped where the the mentor is the hero and the you know the villain is the student yeah. but 
that the weight behind Obi-Wan having to fight this, this, you know, this student of his who he's literally seen grow up. Like, yeah. he's, you know, Anakin's with him from the time he's 11 till the time he's, you know, in his 20s. And so it's a big deal when Obi-Wan is then having to fight him. And the choices, you know, that were between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, you know, way back in episode one, mm-hmm. choosing to, despite, despite what, you know, Yoda and Mace Windu all, you know, all said, yeah. they said, no, we're betting on. We're betting on Anakin. Mm-hmm. He is the one that's going to, you know, restore order to the Force and overthrow the dark side. It makes that scene, you know, where they're f- that fight scene. And, yeah. you know, I've talked about it before how much I love that fight scene. But yeah. it, it adds so much weight to that. And I, man, Obi-Wan does, you know, McGregor, he does a, a great job really acting the emotion. Like, we feel, I, I in my opinion, a lot of people don't like the prequels and I get that, but... In my opinion, you feel the pain that Obi Wan is feeling. You know, like mm-hmm. when he's saying, I, "I, you know, I, I loved you. You were, you were my brother." You know, like, and like it, it physically it hurts him to have to um, defeat Anakin at that point and, yeah. and leave him to just burn and then walk away and like have. I think that was also another thing too, like you know, making the choice to walk away from your, you know, your brother you know quote unquote you know how he says how he uses that term Mm -hmm. to walk away from from him and just leave him there burning to death and gosh man that that sucks like there's there's i can't i can't can't use another word like as i feel like that that just sucks even like before he walks away and in that you know obi-wan says he's like i have the high ground it's over Mm -hmm. like the fight's over yeah and then anakin has you know and say what you will about hayden christensen but he has that line you know you underestimate my power. Yeah. And Obi-Wan says, don't try it because yeah. he knows what he's going to have to do. Exactly. When Anakin, if Anakin tries to jump over him and ultimately, you know, that's what happens. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that that, you know, that the Revenge of the Sith, the relationship that Anakin and Obi-Wan have, and, you know, throughout the rest, you know, throughout episode four of, uh, of Star Wars, I think that's great. I will say that they don't necessarily have to have a relationship every time. Yeah. I do think it adds depth. Like Spider-Man and Carnage, there's not, you know, or Cletus Cassidy, the man inside the Carnage symbiote. They don't really have a relationship other than they're both in New York yeah. and have <laughs> <They're> both- <laughs> spider-like spider-like powers. You know? <laughs> they're both New Yorkers. Right? I mean, that's, like, if, that's if, the strongest that's, bond that's you can possibly have. I guess. I, I'm an Orlando person. You know, here in Florida, we're just all dumb. So, <laughs> so we just don't know how to drive. So I don't get that so much. But uh, but yeah, so like it, it's not necessarily, you know, necessarily happening every time. Yeah. And sometimes... You know, maybe the villain's other traits are, you know, drive up their, you know, make, you know, room for that to not be necessary. Yeah. Or maybe just the way the villain is developed, you know. Uh, I, I feel like sometimes, like, with Carnage, like, that guy's a bloody symbiote, and yeah. that's just cool. And so, yeah. you know, you, you don't have to sell a whole lot more than that, you yeah. know, other than it's a murderer. In there, yeah, you know? it's not necessary to with that, you know, relationship between Spider-Man and Carnage that they have some history or some depth to their relationship. No, it's just... A crazy, you know, insane villain, you know, and Spider Man's our hero, and obviously they're gonna clash, and and that's pretty much that's pretty <laughs> that's, much it. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's sorry. Let's see what plays out. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you know, like, and you kind of just said, Andy, that thinking of Cletus Cassidy, he's just a crazy, insane murderer mm-hmm. that's you know out to be a crazy, insane murderer. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but then you have other here or. 
then you have other villains yeah. that are very strong in their, you know, have very strong beliefs in their convictions. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the next thing I think about of what makes a good, what makes a good villain is the character firmly believes that what they're doing is the right thing to do. Yeah. That they're the ones that are in the right, that the, that nobody else gets it. Or that the heroes are all just prolonging the inevitable, <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, they're the ones that they're the ones that are in the right. Ultimately, yeah. I think of you know in particular Magneto, and we kind of talked about it when we did our Spotlight Magneto episode a while back. But he really believes that ultimately it's going to come down to humans or X Men, humans or mutants rather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's just saying, let's just jump to the like, let's just jump to the chase. Where we're already in this fight, you know, mm-hmm. because it's always going to be them or us. It's never there's there is no option of a them and us, and I think that's ultimately like that's believable. Like, yeah, we, we you know throughout history we've seen that kind of you know those kind of issues, those kind of social issues clash. Yeah, you know, time and time again. And it's it's unfortunate. Like, and I think with Magneto, such a such a special character, such a special villain. Because there is his character development, his his history is is rooted in in real life history, and right. so you know it's we can understand where he's coming from, uh, being a survivor from you know uh, from a you know Nazi concentration camp, and um, you know and then realizing he has these powers, and and then him not wanting to see one human group suppress or you know you know beat down or eliminate another human group like he doesn't want to see that play out again so Mm -hmm. since he has the higher ground since he has these gifts he just thinks in his mind well i you know i'm i'm you know when it comes to your group and my group my group's going to win you know like you're done your group doesn't have a chance and so um so you can you can connect some dots with Magneto and it's scary because again, he really believes that he's right, that he's doing um, the greater good. Like he's doing the only thing that he can do. Um, I think of another example. I think of Loki, you know, he thinks he's, he should be the ruler of Asgard. He thinks he should be in line for the throne. He thinks it shouldn't be Thor. Thor, um, he's rash. He's irresponsible. You know, he's this and that i i loki i should be the next one to be the king you know i should sit on the throne you know why why thor he's not worthy i'm i'm the one that's worthy and so again he as a viewer as a comic book reader you're like yeah why why is thor (laughs) what makes thor yeah why is he the one to be you know the next king like you know if and you know obviously like loki's you know, backstory is, you know, that, you know, he's not, you know, Odin's, you know, like son, like, isn't it, you know what I'm saying? Like his backstory, maybe yeah. with the whole frost giant thing, like whatever, but he's in the family now. And so he's thinking, I he's wa- adopted. Yeah. So he's, so he's like, I'm, 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 I should inherit that, you know, I'm heir. Like I should get that. So. Yeah. In that, I think of in particular, the Thor movie, there's a moment that there's a deleted scene rather that doesn't it didn't make it into the final cut of the film and i kind of wish that it had because there's a scene where loki is declared king of asgard yeah like he you know by the proper channels he is declared to be king of asgard and so it ultimately makes the the warriors 3 going to you know going to earth to bring thor back 
an act of treason. Yeah. <laughs> Which know? is, yeah. And a lot, and like that's, you know, here in the States, that's a felony. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, like, that's a big deal then for them to be, you know, them to be going against the Asgardian king. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're not even just going against somebody who just propped themselves up as king. They're going against the Asgardian king, you know, uh, you know, that has been elected, you know. Uh, so then even Thor ultimately is a, is a, you know, is committing treason yeah. as well, you know. And so that adds even, I wish that scene had been in the, you know, in the final cut of the movie because it adds that much more weight to Loki's motivations throughout, you know, even the Avengers. Like, it kind of makes me wonder how bad would Asgard be off if Loki was the one, like, if he stayed king. Yeah, like how, is it like, is it in bad hands? Like, what would he do if he was king? Yeah. Like, like what's he, the worst? Is he, is he really going to lead Asgard, you know, to dis- to destruction? Yeah, it makes you, it makes you wonder a little bit, like, it's not, how bad can it really get? The, the, I will say there are versions of Loki that I think that would be the case. Yes. But as far as cinematic universe Loki... I don't know that necessarily Tom Hiddleston's a great guy. (laughs) (laughs) And again, kudos to him. Like his performance in that first Thor, man, you, man, he, you connect with the emotion there. You connect with the emotion there of why not me? You know, why Thor? And he plays it perfectly. And then all of a sudden it's like, you don't necessarily hate Loki at that point. You definitely feel for, for Loki at that point. And you're like, that's kind of like that's really sad. Like it, it, it makes you, uh, you look at that scene, you watch that scene, and you're like, man, that that sucks. Like that's really heartbreaking for that guy. Like to go through all that and to kind of have it pull from underneath him, and you know, you kind of like you're processing all this by your, you know, he's internally. Adopt, he's, yeah, he's adopted. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah, so he never like, said like Odin was never going to give it to him. Odin just played him. Yeah, it kind of if you if you connect the dots too much, you can totally side with loki you know and again it all goes back to you know those villains in those movies like loki and magneto you know they have a strong sense of conviction they think that they are right um and then as a viewer we can if it's done right we can connect the dots we we, you know we're we're tracking with them and then all of a sudden we're like wait a minute i i don't am i Am I siding with the bad guy? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, yeah, wait no, a minute. This no, I'm next... on the other side. <laughs> I'm on the other side. Which is what's going to make Captain America: Civil War the best movie this year. All right, so uh, <laughs> enough. Yeah, um, that's our cue for the next for the uh, next, point. For the next point, which takes us to the you know our, our final point, and mm-hmm. that is fear. Uh, the villain just kind of has to be scary. Ultimately, yeah. you know, like they're a villain, so it's part of the deal, you know. Uh, and I think in particular, there's a couple ways they can do that. Uh, First thing is they just have to have a strong physical presence. They ha- they really need to own every page, scene, or sequence that they're in. Mm-hmm. Like we almost need to be paying more attention to them than we are our hero, you know, in those moments. And so I think of in particular in Star Wars: The Force Awakens uh, of Kylo Ren. You know, mm-hmm. we see spoiler alert for that. For you know, if you haven't seen it. It's made billions of dollars, so I don't know. I don't know how you haven't seen it, but are you the one if you're person listening right? to this podcast? Chances are you probably you've probably seen the movie. But uh, that moment in the Force Awakens when Kylo first steps out of his command shuttle, yeah, uh, and he, you know he walks out, and there's like the big like you know the heavy steps, and you know he's got this you know awesome 
robe and hood and mask, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of is like I love that a little mask. battle damage and I love whatnot. It. Like, I love it. It looks yeah. sick. I love it. Uh, and then he, you know, he just very quickly kind of cuts down this, you know, this vi- villager. Yeah. And then Poe tries to shoot him and he catches a, bl- a blaster shot in yeah. midair with the, with the force. And as far as I can recall... We can call up Matt if we need to to verify this. <laughs> yes. But I don't think that happened at any point, you know. Yeah. You know, in the in the franchise so far. Yeah. You know, in the Star Wars world, at least on screen that we've seen. And so like that immediately I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's a big deal. And then you even see in that movie, like you see Poe look over his shoulder as he's carrying being carried by the stormtroopers. Like he's like, how is he? How is that? So how is just, that happening? Like yeah. it's just like, and it's like, you know, how is that happening? And so I think. I think that being having that strong physical presence is an, is a huge deal. I think of an, uh, like another example of owning the the scene. Like I remember uh, watching the Dark Knight and the Joker whenever he was on any whatever scene he was in, my eyes were on that guy. Like he had my mm-hmm. full attention. And it's not necessary. It goes again. It just goes to what you said, Cody, of owning the the scene. You know, he wasn't physically built. He wasn't like he was, you know, huge. He was kind of scary. You know, he was. It was a different take on the Joker. So it had that, like, you know, it had that going for that character. But the way he just he owned it, man. And I, the that movie. I think the runtime is about two and a half hours. Like, I would easily watch. You know. If another hour of that movie if that if it meant it was another hour of of joker of yeah joker screen time of him you know working out his plan of him and and batman you know him and his his minions his thugs you know his gang whatever like and like he owned every scene that he was in man and so like that was incredible uh so i think our villain needs to have a this strong physical presence to him um but another thing he, another thing that you know that's kind of under the same page, you know, under the same umbrella is, you know, it is the stronger, faster, bigger than our hero. So, you know, this kind of, you know, it kind of goes back to challenging our hero, like bringing the best of our hero. But, you know, if the villain is a bigger version of, um, you know, of Superman, you know, then you you get Doomsday. You know, that's exactly what you get. We get Doomsday, you know. So all of a sudden, like, who can stand up with? Superman, oh, let's make this villain, you know, let's create Doomsday, and that's who can stand up, you know, to to Superman. Yeah, with that, I think of, and I think of the Flash show that's, you know, that's running now. It's in season two, as as you probably know, uh, but in season two, we have Zoom being the, the big bad, and, and I don't want to spoil, you know, what, what's happening in that show right now. Yeah. Uh, but even, like, if you just take the time to just search... Like, you know, go to Google and search, who like, Zoom. Mm-hmm. His look on the show is scary because it's all, like, he's got this black suit that is, you know, has elements of the Flash mm-hmm. suit. Uh, and, you know, and he, then he has, you know, like, a, his his mouth isn't showing, his eyes you can only barely see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's got kind of, like, these clawed fingers. <laughs> Why is that necessary? It's like you you have no like is he like a monster? Like do his fingers look like that under the like yeah, under the or is that just part of the costume? There's so many questions so, about it. <laughs> but then then you see very early on in or when he shows up mm-hmm. in the flash uh in you know in season 2 
that he is much much faster than the flash yeah you know and and, and stronger and he's strong and that makes him stronger yeah. you know with a speedster it's like it's not going to be it's not necessarily going to come down to a fist fight you yeah. know it's not going to be like a bane batman kind of dynamic but him ultimately running circles around the flash yeah is you know makes him you know makes him a a big deal. Yeah. And Cody, like I thought about what you said on, on the pod, on the podcast last, last week of Scarecrow, you know, of how terrifying, you know, that portrayal of, of that character was, you know, like we've, you know, if you see him in the animated, you know, Batman cartoon series, he's, you know, he's kind of silly and, and kind of scary. Um, but to see him from that, then to see him in, you know, Batman Begins, again, that was kind of, you know, that's a little bit more scary. But then to see him in this video game. In Arkham Knight with, yeah. the, with the needles on his hands? Like, <laughs> that dude like, means business. <laughs> like, like, almost like Freddy Krueger, but they're like needles like to inject you with like. With his fear, fear toxin? Yeah. And by the way, he kind of has that like, that toxin running like in things all over his body to like yeah. canisters that are on his waist. It's like, that's his battle armor. Yeah. Is it, <laughs> if you get too close, like he just barely pricks you with a needle and then you're done. You're, and then you're terrified and you're seeing, yeah. And know, then you're terrified work. of him. Yeah. And he's, you know, very, very real, you know, in a very real way, he's creating your nightmares. Yeah. And so like, if our villain can, can do this if they could if they have this strong physical presence or if they're maybe stronger faster bigger than our heroes you know they, more teeth it, yeah exactly more teeth if they if they just have this whole element of fear you know we are afraid of this villain and what they can do and what they what they're able to do to our heroes then man we have a real special villain you know uh, you know in our hand now i'm sure there might be some things that we missed with what makes a great villain but that is our episode on heroes and villains those are the things that we came up with if you have any more we would love to hear them just want to give you guys just uh, some some comic books to uh, be on the lookout next time you're in the comic book store uh, they should be dropping out today so up first we have spider-man and deadpool number one um there's not a whole lot of exclamation for that one. You have Spider-Man, you have Deadpool. It's probably going to be a fun read. <laughs> uh, we also have Rocket, Raccoon, and and Groot, number one. Um, so again, we see these two characters there. You know, they, they're, the, they're, you know, they're buddies. You know, we see that in the movies. Um, but this one, they have their own comic book run now. And so that should be a fun one. So you definitely want to pick up that one. Uh, next, we also have Green Lantern, number 48. Uh, that should be an interesting one because we have Green Lantern. He's coming back home. And we see him. He, he has to encounter Batman. And so we... That's, you know, whenever Batman's on in a comic, it should be a good one. And then lastly, we have Fade Out number 12. This is a comic book series uh, written by Ed Bruderbaker. Uh, he does great work with other comics, with Daredevil comics and um, Avengers and X-Men and all that. And so uh, that should be a good one. This That's the last issue of that miniseries, uh, Fade Out. And so if you've been reading that, you definitely want to pick up the last part. Again, that's Fade Out number 12. Also, you can always talk to us on social media, and there's a couple ways to do that. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at heroes underscore and. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash heroes and. Or you can email us at heroesandpodcasts at gmail.com. Like Andy said earlier, we tend to stick to Twitter for 
polls and such, but we always are trying to post whether it's funny memes or just, you know, cool news and such on our social media. Also, just wanted to let you guys know you can, uh, if you if you guys can, please subscribe, rate, and review our episodes. We would greatly appreciate that. You know, any support, uh, any shout outs you can do for us on social media, that'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, again, that's our episode. Thank you so much for listening to Heroes and I'm Andy, and I'm Cody, and, and we're, we're out. out.